Let's take our Bibles today. Turn over to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 17 today. Matthew chapter 17. 
Matthew chapter 17. We're going to begin in verse 1 there in the book of Matthew, and we're going to read just a portion of Scripture, about eight verses, and we're going to see um, a, a situation with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll, you'll recognize it probably. Uh, if you've been in church at all, you'll probably go, oh, I remember reading about that or hearing about that, but then again, if you haven't been in church much, maybe you never have, but we're going to take a little bit of time. We're going to try to define something and then we're going to spend time defining it, and then I'm going to make an application about it. So let's go ahead and look at chapter 17. And again, we're still in our missions month, and so we're keeping that in mind, because that's really what we're emphasizing in the month of October. Last week, of course, we concluded our missions conference, and boy, what a tremendous job our speaker did. Boy, uh, we were just so thankful for Brother Hanks and just the ministry that he shared with us and the ministering he did to us through the Spirit of God and through, of course, the Word of God. And boy, it was a blessing. And uh, we're taking up our faith promise offering. And last week we were right around, I think it was about $85,000 or something like that. And we're looking to see much more come in through the next couple of weeks. But again, we're in the month of missions. And so I want to focus and keep focusing on that a little bit this morning. Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, <clears throat> the Bible says, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth him up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if thou wilt. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Well, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things we could learn, but this isn't really part of the message, but I do believe that it is something that ought to be noted. We have here some disciples who are rather zealous, aren't they? And for good cause. They've been traveling with Jesus Christ for some time, and obviously they had kind of understood that he is very unique and very special, to say the least. Now they see him transfigured before their very eyes, and there they also see Moses and Elias, and they say, Lord, oh, if you will, if you would like, we'll build tabernacles to each and every one of you. But I want you to understand that Jesus does not share his glory with anyone else. I want you to know that God doesn't say it's all right to bow the knee to an idol and bow the knee to him. He says, no, I am the only God and the only true God. And therefore, no, uh, fellas, you've got it all mixed up. You've got it all wrong. You can't bow down to that idol, and you can't even make a tabernacle unto another man. If you want to build that tabernacle, you build it to me. You give me your best because I am the one and only God. But I want you to notice a phrase that stands out here. Of course, we know that this is a very significant passage because it, it is so, uh, it, it's been preached about, it's been taught about so many times. Jesus Christ 
transfigured before their very eyes. But I want to ask the question, what is the significance of this particular phrase? Look at the beginning of the passage, verse 1. And after six days. Do you think that has any significance? Do you think that matters at all? Of course it matters, preacher. It's in the Bible. Every word of God matters. That's right. You are very wise. But again, the Bible specifically points out that after six days... He brings them up into this high mountain apart and was transfigured before them. Now the word transfigured means changed in form. To be changed in form. Well, how was he changed in form? Well, in this particular case, Christ is described as some things. First of all, his face did shine as the sun. His raiment was white as the light, the Bible says. Now, I believe we've seen this somewhere else before. I think we read about it in the Word of God elsewhere. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 17, but we're going to see a situation and a circumstance where, once again, it appears as though Christ takes on the same characteristics and qualities that we see here in chapter 17. Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 28. In verses 2 through 4, the Bible says, Matthew 28, verses 2 through 4. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. We know what's going on here. Jesus Christ has been crucified. He was buried. And now we're going to find him resurrected from the dead. And the Bible says, his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And that is not the passage I wanted you to read. (laughs) Just testing your Bible understanding. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Although that's a very good passage too. Very good. If we didn't already have a message, I'd preach on that right now. Notice what it says here in Revelation. Let me set the stage for this one. John begins the Revelation with a picture of what is called or who is called the Ancient of Days. And this Ancient of Days is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Notice that we get a glimpse of the Master This is going to take place after the resurrection. It takes place after the church age. But I want you to note the description here in Revelation 1.13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, Revelation 1.13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth went out a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength, as the sun shineth in his strength. Now, again, I think there's a parallel here between what we see on that mount in chapter 17 and what we find in Revelation chapter 1. 
Now, I also think that there is an interesting correlation, and I'm not going to spend time on it, it, how these angelic beings ultimately appear before mankind as well. But nonetheless, we see in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13 through 16, we see a character by the name of the Ancient of Days is what he's ultimately called in the Old Testament. He is identified as the Son of Man here in Revelation chapter 1. It's amazing. We can go back to the Old Testament, we see the Ancient of Days. We go to the New Testament in Revelation, and we see a picture of that Ancient of Days here, and he's identified as the Son of Man. When we see this picture, we can't help but recognize that there's a correlation or something very similar between this transfigured Jesus in Matthew 17 and Christ in the midst of his church here, pictured in the midst of his church in chapter 1 of Revelation. Now, one day we are going to find that Christ himself is going to shine so bright that he's going to literally light up the new Jerusalem. In the book of Revelation 21, 23, the Bible says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So I guess as we look at the passage, we say, we learn that after six days, we see that the Lord was transfigured. And what we get is a picture then of Christ in his glory, the glorified Christ. Now, I I believe that there's a significance then to after six days. It was after six days that the disciples then see Christ in a glorified state, bright and shining, in a transformed state, a changed and formed state. What's the significance then? Turn, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Some of you are probably wondering why I'm sporting these lovely tennis shoes today. It's not because I'm going to run a track beat inside the auditorium. I'm not going to illustrate my amazing speed. I dropped something on my feet the other day, uh, a coffee table. And so as a result of that, my two big toes are swollen and I can't get them in my shoes. Yes, good times. True blessing. I appreciate being able to get my feet in my shoes more than ever. So hopefully in the next few days, I'll be feeling a little bit better. They're better already today than they were two days ago. So anyway, there you go. I'm glad that the body is resilient. Nonetheless, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Notice this now, because it's very important, I believe. The Bible says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So in this particular passage, this transfiguration passage, we find that he prompts or preempts it with, by saying, and after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and bringing them up into a high mountain apart. Then he is transfigured. Then we see Christ in his glorified state. And now we have a passage that identifies days as being a thousand years to the Lord. 
I think that's interesting. Do you realize that it was 2,000 years ago that Jesus Christ died on the cross? Approximately 2,000 years. Do you realize also that when David was on the earth, King David, that was 3,000 years ago, basically? 1,000 B.C. 1,000 years before Christ ever showed up, David, Solomon, Saul, those guys were kings. Kind of interesting, isn't it? You could go back another 1,000 years, and again, I'm not talking about exact dating, but generally speaking, another 1,000 years, and guess who's on the earth? Abraham. You find Abraham. So Abraham in uh, 4,000 years ago, or in 2000 B.C., is on the earth. You see, in 3,000 years ago, or 1,000 B.C., you see David. 2,000 years ago, you got Jesus. But wait a second. We can even, we can, based on uh, the uh, ushers dating and as well as the genealogies in the Bible, we can go back and we kind of place Noah somewhere. Noah's right around 5,000 years ago. And then you go back 1,000 years before that and you run into Adam. So you basically, 6,000 years ago, we have the first man being planted in the Garden of Eden. 6,000 years ago. So we have six days. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 points out that a day is with the Lord is a thousand years. Mankind has occupied the earth for 6,000 years. What does this transfiguration picture then? I, I think it points to Christ's return. Look, if you would, in Revelation 19 again, and we're going to note a description again. Remember, they see him transfigured. They see him, as, as our passage says here, His face did shine as the sun. His raiment was white as the light. Notice we see in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and, right, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. I'm telling you, I believe that this person right here is the one that it's, it, it's Jesus Christ. We know this to be the case. He's the Word of God. He's coming back. I believe he's coming back glorified. He's going to be glorified. And he's coming back in 6,000 years, six days. And I think we're at 6,000 years. I think we're right around the time when Christ is going to come back. I think we live in a day when we could say he could come back any moment. And I know they've been, you say they've been saying that for years. I know, but I believe he could come back any time now. I just, I'm convinced of that. And I believe biblically that we have some sense of a general timeline. I say general because I know what's coming next out of some of your very well-informed minds. I believe we could, the passage hints at a general timeline concerning the return of Christ. And yet I also know that while Christ was here on earth, he clearly stated that the day of his return was unknown to mankind. I'm not, okay, turn to Matthew and let's look at it real quick. Matthew chapter 24, 36. While he's on earth, he is very clear. And he's going to make it very clear that we can't say when he's coming back exactly. We can't do that. We can't set dates on this thing. Now, through history, people have sought to set dates. 
They've tried to say, well, yes, indeed, you can, here's the day Jesus is coming back, and this week on this date, he'll be here, and oh, they've made a mess of things because he didn't show up. I think if he was going to show up that day, he had to change his schedule <laughs> just to prove them wrong. Notice what it says in Matthew 24, 36, of course, Jesus Christ, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. While Jesus was on earth, he allowed himself to, to be, he was all God. But let me ask you something. Can God choose not to know something? I guess he could. He can do anything he wants. At that point, Jesus did not, he, he says, no man. He was the son of man. He was all God too. He said his father only knew that time while he was on earth. I guarantee he knows when it is now. So we can't set a date. I get that. I understand that. I don't believe we can set the date now. I believe, again, as I'm going to mention here in just a moment, that we have reasons to believe that this passage can set or hint at a general timeline. Look, if you would, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to find here in this passage, Paul the Apostle is going to point out that the church and believers needn't be surprised when he returns. We don't have to be caught with our hand in a cookie jar, so to speak. We don't, we don't have to be there. Now, you've got to understand, as we turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, what happens before in chapter 4? At the end of chapter 4, we find the Apostle speaking to the church at Thessalonica about the return of Jesus Christ. The rapture, we often call it, a catching away. So in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, he addresses and deals with Christ's return. And now we're going to see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 what he has to say. He says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, that's when Jesus Christ is going to return to establish and set up his kingdom. It also includes the seven-year tribulation period. That the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. You say, there it is. Nobody will know. That's right. Hold on. Keep reading, though. He's talking to the church now. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon who? Them. As travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Hold on. But ye, brethren are not in darkness that that day, the day of the Lord, should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. You know what he's saying? He's saying, okay, you may not know the exact day. You may not be able to say it's going to be this week. You may not even be able to say specifically, it's this year for sure, but I'm going to tell you what you can do. You can look around you and you see signs everywhere. You can look around you and you can say, man, I'm telling you, it's looking more like the return of Christ all the time. I'm telling you, we've been living now on this earth as humanity for 6,000 years. And Jesus Christ, even as he was glorified there and transfigured before those disciples, and you take that thousand years, you go one, two, three, four, five, six. Man, could he be coming back now? Could that be a general timeline pointing to the fact that 6,000 years after mankind occupied that garden, Jesus Christ is going to be glorified and take his rightful place on the throne in Jerusalem? And I think there's something to it. 
And I believe that we see evidence of it. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. When we get to the message, I'll let you know. It's taking longer than I thought. It helped if I had all the passages in the right places. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. He's writing now to Timothy. Timothy would pastor the church at Ephesus. He says, this know also. Chapter 3, verse 1, 2 Timothy. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now I'm going to tell you something. We know for a fact, according to the Word of God, it certainly seems... To me, I, you know what, I, I, can I just tell you this? I don't care about blood moons. You say, what are those? I have no idea. But everybody keeps telling me, man, the blood moons will tell you when Jesus is returning. And everybody says, well, this will tell you when Jesus is returning. And this will tell you when Jesus is returning. Can I tell you what? You only need to look around you at the signs of the times. You only need to look at what's going on in our culture, our society, and our world to recognize that we must be coming on the last days. And I also have a passage over there in the book of Matthew chapter 17 that seems to indicate that this Jesus Christ who was transfigured, who was seen in his glorified body prior to his death, his burial and resurrection. And now we see that same picture over here in the book of Revelation when he returns in chapter 19 and takes his rightful place on the throne in a glorified body. My friend, I'm saying it's been 6,000 years already. I think Jesus Christ is coming when I read this list of things. I think there's plenty of reasons to say Christ must be on his way soon. And you say, well, what if he isn't? I don't care. My knowing that fact and believing that fact is only going to motivate me to do more for God than ever then. And one day when I stand before him, I won't regret saying, boy, I thought you were coming in my lifetime. Boy, I sure wasted a lot of time waiting on you. By the way, when you're waiting on the Lord, you're not sitting idle nor are you standing idle. You're busy about the work of the Lord because you know there's only so much time. Look, if you would, in Psalms chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. We may not know the day or hour, as we said, but being children of the day and not being blinded by the night, we can see the handwriting on the wall around us. I mean, tell you, Jesus is coming again, and it could be today. Look at what it says in Psalms chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? That's a good question, isn't it? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying... Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. He shall, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Oh my. I don't know. I can't even imagine this. Think about it. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. As futile as it may be, 
The kings of the earth firmly stand against the Lord. And they counsel together as to just how they can undermine his authority and do away with him and his word. It's crazy. I mean, he says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? So obviously, their plotting, their scheming is not going to work out well for them. We have seen evidence of this through the years as government and the national media have yoked up and have worked in tandem in order to communicate a narrative that is anti-Christ and anti-God in our world. It's not just America, it's around the world now. We see the, we see the, seen the removal of the Bible and prayer from our schools years ago. The sanctity of life was questioned and even discarded through abortion and assisted suicide. The removal of any Christian influence on the public domain. We think about the Ten Commandments being hauled off and scraped off and torn down and ripped apart and ripped away from our culture, our society. You can't show those Ten Commandments on any walls anymore. You can't have them in a courtroom anymore. Why? You see Christmas. Whoa, don't you don't. Christmas, that has Christ in it. And manger scenes, you better be careful with those manger scenes. Oh, maybe you can still put one up in your yard, but don't you take it to work. Don't you put it out there in public domain. You're just shoving your faith down somebody else's throat. I mean, who's, who's pushing that agenda? Are you? I'm not. We've seen the redefinition of family and the attack on the home. We've seen the redefining of marriage being one man, uh, from being one man, one woman to anything and anyone. What, what is going on? We've seen the advancement of an unnatural and ungodly lifestyle as pictured in the LGBT community. We see the promotion of a gender neutral society. We see the confusion of the transgender and the bisexual crowd today. We see the concerted effort to undermine parental authority in the schools and in society by demanding, demanding that somebody else is more qualified to make decisions that affect the future of your children. More qualified than you as their parent. We've seen immorality and sensuality being promoted in advertisement, in schools, in our culture. My friend, let me tell you something. We got ourselves a problem. And what we got is the same problem we've been having for years. It's called sin. And by the way, there isn't one movement that's being promoted by our schools, our government, or our media outlets that embrace God today. They're, they all rage, and they imagine a vain thing. See, they seek to cast off God's rightful authority and rule in their life. We don't want God telling us anything. Rebellion is the word of our day, and it mirrors the futile and failed attempts of those in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. I mean, think about it. Their folly was to build a city to reach heaven and to reach God, but without God. Their own gods. Without God is the goal, and it is the goal of an increasingly atheistic society and culture. What? It started so many years ago. 
I mean, think about you and I. Maybe you're over the age of 50, you're 60 or 70, and think about how uh, the turn came at the, about, about the 1960s when all of a sudden we started just shoving evolution down the throats of children. Can I tell you that is a religion that is not based in truth? No, it's a theory. It is definitely a theory, but it is an ungodly theory, and it is an unscriptural theory, and it is simply turned into a religion today. It's no more science than the science we see dealing with COVID today. It's ridiculous. We don't care about truth anymore. All that matters is our ungodly narratives. You say, what's all that have to do with anything? So after six days, Jesus will be seen glorified. I believe it's coming real soon. I believe the signs of the times are all around us. Hey, listen, I understand there have been cultures and civilizations that were far worse than ours. I understand that. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that America has sunk to the lowest that it can. I promise you it can go much lower, and it probably will. But here's the thing. If you're a believer today, you're looking for something different than what the government or the media or the world can sell you. You're looking for Jesus Christ to come back. He's the only hope. He's our only help. Now, can I tell you, I'm excited of the fact that I don't have to be worried about going through a seven-year tribulation. Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's going to rapture me out. He's going to take me up to be with him. And can I tell you, he'll take you too if you know Christ is your Savior. But here, what about missions then? What about missions? Well, the question is, if we only have a certain amount of time, if for some reason this is a general picture of the time line that God has for humanity, if, if six days and the days are as a thousand years under the Lord and they do add up, we're right around that time when we can expect to see those clouds separate. I don't know. Could they have, he come back 2,000 years ago? He sure could have, and he'd have been justified in doing so. But can I tell you, he could wait another 2,000 years. That's his business. But I do think we have reason to believe that Jesus Christ is on his way. I don't know right now if he's in heaven right now getting the angels ready and, and the horses set up and preparing for our coming and then our return with him. I don't know. But what I do know is this. It's got to be coming soon. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, what about missions then? I wonder, who still needs reach with the gospel? Because once Christ returns, man, it's going to be pretty tough. Oh, are there people going to get saved during the tribulation period? In a sense, yes. Not, not the exact way you are, but they'll get saved. See, the church won't be here, and they won't be part of the body of Christ, but they'll get saved in a sense. But wait a second, the Bible makes it pretty clear in the book of Thessalonians that if they believe the lie, if they did not love the truth, that they'll believe the lie that the devil gives them. And that God sends. God sends a strong delusion, the Bible says. God almost says, listen, I'm going to give you every opportunity to get saved right now. I'm going to allow my, my word to make it all the way through history. I'm going to permit my prophets to continue to preach the truth. And I'm going to allow for, for the Holy Spirit to convict and change lives of those who want change and are willing to submit and surrender to his authority. But if you choose to reject that long enough, sooner or later, you're on your own. Yeah. 
My friend, I'm going to tell you, we better get on the job because there are people that are going to die and go to hell without Jesus Christ if we don't get started and get busy. I mean, who's going to reach, who still needs reach with the gospel? And who's going to reach them? Let me ask you a question. What aren't you willing to do to reach the lost? Not what are you willing to do, what aren't you willing to do? What aren't you willing to do to reach the lost? That's a question I have to ask myself. Mark, what are you not willing to do to reach the lost? Well, I'm willing to do this and this. Yeah, but what aren't you willing to do? Because I think that reveals more often our heart than the other answer. Hey, listen, there isn't much time left. If what we we're reading, if, if there's any relevance at all to those words in the passage, then after six days, and after six days, and after six days, if there's any relevance to that at all, we're drawing real close to his return. If the passage in Timothy shines any light on his return, which it does, I got to believe we're getting there pretty quick. There is no greater need in an individual's life than salvation. No greater need. And no greater need in a home than Christ at the helm. Therefore, our lives should be consumed with no greater sense of urgency than missions. Because really, when you think about it, missions represents everything God left us here to do. To seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. That's why we're here. He wants everybody on board with him. He wants everybody saved. He wants everybody in heaven with him one day. You say, but there are people that don't deserve to go. Yeah, you mean like you and me? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you and me. me. Me and you then. I mean, we don't deserve to go. Who are we? Sinners. Who are we? The enemies of God prior to receiving and accepting him. Who are we? We're nothing. We're nobodies. What is man that thou art mindful of him? We're nothing without Jesus Christ. Missions. All month we're talking about missions. And next week will be our final week. And yeah, we're still collecting our faith promise. And we're doing all of that, yes. But why are we doing that? Why the emphasis and why the missions conference and why the money spent to bring a speaker in and to do all of that? Why did we do that? Because he's coming back. When he comes back, you're either in or out. But I'll tell you what, he wants us to get as many in as we can. That includes our family, our loved ones, our friends. Missions. Boy, it's important, isn't it? It truly is important. It ought to consume us. This thought of missions ought to be our greatest sense of urgency. You say, yeah, but I have a family, I have children. What if they don't get saved? Where will they spend eternity? Missions. For forever telling everyone about Jesus. That's what it's really all about, including our children and our family and our loved ones, because he is the only way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, he says.
I don't know if you've prayed about what God's going to have you do for missions this year, but I would encourage you to do so if you haven't. And if you're visiting with us, we're not asking you to give a dime. We're so thankful that you're here today. Man, just you being here is so, so, so much a blessing to us. But even in your life, if you don't know Christ, you better settle that. You need to settle that. Because he is the only way. He said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He said, but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God. He said, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was, he was, wounded, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Man, thank, thankfully, Jesus took our place on Calvary, paid for our sin. And can I encourage you to settle your soul's salvation before you leave today, to make sure that you have called upon him. In just a moment, the music will play. If you've never trusted Christ, I can share, I have someone share from the word of God some just a couple of simple scriptures that will kind of bring all this together and make it very clear, this is what you need to do. Because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've got to call on him. Will you do so today? And you're a child of God today. What aren't you willing to do to reach a world that's lost? Think about that. And maybe we need to take a moment today and come to an altar and say, Lord, show me what I need to do differently in order to truly impact my family, and the world for you in a better way. I want to be more effective. Man, I'll tell you what, you will never regret that when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together, and we just ask, Lord, you just uh, work in our lives. Again, thank you for all you mean to us and all you do for us. And, but Lord, today, as we think about the fact that you're coming back, and Lord... <laughs> If, if those, that little statement being defined by another passage of a day is as a, as, 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 as a thousand years to you, if that points in any way to a general timeline, then, Lord, we're getting really close. And Lord, I believe it does, and I see evidence of a culture, a society that's truly matching up with Psalms chapter 2 and that is, is matching up with the book of 2 Timothy. And Lord, I just, I don't want to get caught off guard. And Lord, I pray that not one in this room would get caught off guard, not one listening to live stream would get caught off guard, that Lord, we would be prepared for that moment. And that Lord, we would prepare others for that moment as well. Lord, we'll thank you. We'll praise you for what you'll do in our lives. Lord, if there be a lost man or woman, may they settle it today. And if there be a child of God who has allowed their minds, their their efforts to be distracted away from their main purpose of reaching others and being a part of that process of winning the world to Jesus Christ, that they would finally refocus again today. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.